in this edition of Hoosology. Matt and Justin welcome public address announcer for the Chicago Bears, the Chicago Fire FC, Illinois Fighting Illini, and the Chicago Bulls, Tim Sinclair. Tim tells his story about how he became the public address announcer for the Chicago Bulls, his experience being inside the NBA bubble in 2020, his favorite moments, and a lot more. This is a very, very fun chat. It continues our series interviewing the public address announcers within the NBA, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy this interview as well. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms and also subscribe to our YouTube channel as well and check out Hoopsology on all social media platforms. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast and now Tim Sinclair. He is the public address announcer for the Chicago Bears, Chicago Fire FC, Illinois Fighting Illini, and the Chicago Bulls. We have the pleasure in welcoming Tim Sinclair onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Tim? Uh, going great. Thanks for uh, for having me. Appreciate it. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you, too. Thanks for coming on to the show. We've been interviewing on public address announcers, I would say, for the past year or so throughout the league. So it's just fantastic always to get your guys' perspective on the game. And one of the traditions we have um, just on our show is just to get um, some of our guests either first basketball memory or favorite basketball memory, just from your childhood or just throughout your life, just anywhere you want to take it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – probably favorite overall was my dad and I shooting hoops in the driveway. Uh, I grew up in Detroit. Uh, so at the time it was getting to the bad boy Pistons era. I'm, I'm pretty old. And so uh, he would do George Blaha has been a longtime broadcaster for the Pistons uh, still is, I think, uh, although he's had some health issues recently, but my dad would do his calls in the driveway as we were shooting him. He'd be like, hi glass are good. And we would do just all the stuff George would do. And so, uh, if I think about an overall memory, that's probably it. If you're looking for a game, uh, 85 or 6, I saw Jordan play in the Pontiac Silverdome wow. against the Pistons and drop 60 in a game. Um, so nice. that that would probably have to be, uh, at least for my childhood, number one. So for Matt and I, I, you know, we we can we only watch Jordan on on television. We have such a high regard, I guess, especially for myself as being a longtime Bulls fan. But you actually saw Jordan, you know, in that moment from your childhood. I mean, that's that's very rare just to, to see that moment in time. Like, what is that like, you know, from seeing that moment from your childhood just compared to now, just becoming the announcer, just the PA announcer for the Chicago Bulls, like. Like, can you reconcile, reconcile those two moments in time? Like, can you, can you make that comparison? Like, that, that, that's going to be very crazy for you. Yeah, I've often said, you know, if you told 10-year-old or 12-year-old or 15-year-old me what I would be doing now, uh, man, my mind would have been blown. Like, I, <laughs> I, I had no idea that that would be something that would happen. Um, certainly loved. I, I saw Jordan play in person twice, once near the beginning of his career, uh, once right near the end, I think it was the year after the United Center opened. Um, and so those were my two experiences. And and to me, I was just going to take them. And, and I thought those would kind of be the preeminent memories of NBA basketball for my lifetime, not having any idea that, you know, a few years later, I'd be sitting courtside doing it every single day. So um, it is hard to wrap my brain around sometimes because it's just, absolutely incredible. I don't take it for granted. Um, and 
I wish kind of now that I had been able to look at the game a little differently when I was a kid so I could compare and contrast a little bit better. But as a kid, you're just like in awe of everything. And, uh, you know, you don't necessarily remember points and rebounds and strategy and all that kind of stuff. You just remember the spectacle of it all. And so I, I try to go into games with a little bit of that childlike mindset even now. But obviously the job dictates otherwise most days. Interestingly enough, we had a guest on our show last month who was there in person for Jordan 63 against the Celtics. Um, What was it like just in that game? I mean, you mentioned, you know, being a child for that game. I mean, was there a lot of vitriol towards Jordan? Did he kind of win the room over by dropping 60 on on the team or (laughs) what was that like? First of all, it was in the Pontiac Silverdome, which is was like a giant football dome it was where the lions played (laughs) and so there was a basketball court you know and we were a long way away Uh, i think you know detroit fans are fairly notorious for being loud and obnoxious and cheering against you but at a certain point as i mean i was probably six or seven years old um people kind of knew they were seeing some history in the making. And so at a certain point, you just got to tip your hat to a guy who's on fire and, and, and taken over and, and appreciate what you've watched, even though your team is losing. And uh, as, as best I remember, uh, most people were kind of in that frame of mind, but uh, obviously, you know, uh, fans are fans and they're called fanatics for a reason. And so I'm sure they were um, doing their fair share of yelling, but you know, if you could point to the scoreboard and show that you've got 60, it's hard for anybody to say too much. So, Tim, let's transition and let's get into how you became a public address announcer. We've interviewed other PA announcers throughout the league, and their journeys are so different. So what was kind of put you on this path? Well, I thought I was going to be an architect. That's what I went to college to do. Uh, and a couple semesters in, I realized I needed a part-time job to make a little money and make ends meet while I was going to architecture school. And so um, I I reached out to a friend. He was more of a friend of my parents, but he worked at a local radio station. I thought, hey, maybe he has some part-time work that I can do. And so I asked him, hey, you know, any chance I could work a few hours a week for you? And he said, do you want to be on the air? And I went, "Uh, sure. Okay, why not? And so he, he put me on the air after a little bit of training and I was terrible. But I loved it. And I realized quickly that even though I was pretty good at architecture, I was passionate about radio. And that's really what sent me on the path for communication. Uh, It was many years later, though, that I I eventually got into public address. I'd been doing radio for a decade or more, loved sports. And uh, some openings came up at uh, the University of Illinois. And someone said, hey, you should apply for that. And so I went, okay, why not? And I applied and they, like a year later, got me a baseball game to do. And again, I was terrible, but loved it. And, you know, little by little got one thing after another and another opportunity here and another one here. And eventually um, I realized, Hey, maybe, maybe I could turn this into a career. It Uh, seems like so different and varied. Did did you have to do like an audition in order to start doing games? Um, How how did that work? Yeah. For Illinois, uh, they, I was a radio personality in the area, so they knew I could at least string one word in front of, in front of the next. And I did send in a resume and a made up reel of, of work, you know, mm-hmm. primarily from radio uh, to show that I was capable. Uh, and baseball to me is 
other than maybe soccer is the easiest of all the sports to do because it's literally just now batting the number, the name of the player. That's it. I mean, mm. uh, maybe a substitute, you know, if they're going to swap out your pitcher or something like that, a pitching change will announce that, but otherwise there's very little to do. So that was kind of ground floor of uh, where I got to start. And I think that was probably good that it wasn't too high paced. And cause that can be overwhelming in a hurry. If you drop, get dropped into a basketball or a football game, that would be, you know, a trial by fire. Um, but every other job after that has been audition based where they have an opening Either I hear about it or someone says, hey, you should apply for this or a team reaches out to me and it requires, you know, sending in a resume, sending in my demo reel, uh, going through a, an audition process of some sort, uh, usually, you know, a, a meeting online, then a meeting in person, then an audition in the arena. And, uh, you know, you, you take what you get. So what is your, I guess, strategy or roadmap in terms of how do you announce, you know, different teams? I know just talking to this other announcers, you know, some of them have an understated style. Some of them are more flamboyant. So kind of what's your philosophy, especially um, just when announcing the home team and then the opposing team as well? Uh, I always say I'm, I'm a, a fan with a microphone. So, you know, in a lot of ways, I get to cheer on the team like fans do, although with, with some rules and, and restrictions thrown in. Um, and, and my goal is always to reflect what the crowd is, or should be feeling in a certain moment. So I kind of read the room and let that dictate my excitement, my energy level, how high I go, how low I get. Um, a three-pointer in the first quarter is exciting, but it's not the same as a buzzer beater. Um, and it's not the same as when you're down 30. Uh, so, you know, I, I've never been a guy who's always turned up to 11 or, or trying to pretend that things are more exciting than they are. Uh, I know some have different feelings and, and strategies on that, but for me, that comes across as incredibly inauthentic. Um, I, I'm not just a robotic voice. I'm a human. I'm a fan. Uh, and, and my goal is always to try to reflect what the game says I should be reflecting. And um, you know, sometimes that's hard to do if people aren't super happy with what's happening at the moment, but I do think it's the most authentic. I do think it sort of, um, gives me a, I don't know the best way to say it, but I don't want anybody ever to feel like I'm faking it because I don't ever want to fake it. Uh, and so that's really my strategy. I, I do get super excited when the moment calls for it. Uh, I do, um, you know, a visitor is very, matter of fact i don't try to demean anybody or or dismiss you know I, i'm not a dismissive guy but i'm also not excited if lebron scores you know so uh, <laughs> that's that's really my goal um so far it's worked really really well and i'm, I'm incredibly thankful for uh the reception i've got uh in in all of the the opportunities i've had to work and speaking of all those opportunities, I mean, you mentioned, you know, baseball being kind of a slower pace naturally by the game and, and easier responsibilities potentially there. Um, compare and contrast that for us, if, if you would, between um, like something like soccer um, it, that's continuous and of course, basketball pretty continuous there as well. What are the different challenges with, um, you know, like the size of the field of player court um, along with the pace of play? 
Yeah, in my the three I do most often are soccer, basketball, and football. And so soccer, there's a lot of stuff pregame and there's a lot of stuff halftime. And then during the game, there's not much to do, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only talk as public address uh, people during uh, either goals, substitutions, or red and yellow cards, which in some games are very few and far between since substitutions are limited and you know, sure. often goals are, are limited as well. So soccer is probably the easiest in that you know, all of a sudden late in the second half, you might have three or four substitutions all at the same time. And so you go from doing nothing for half an hour to a whole lot over the course of the next two minutes. Um, But to me, that's the simplest. Um, It's enjoyable for a variety of reasons, but in terms of the mechanics of it, it's Mm -hmm. fairly simple. Uh, Basketball is fairly nonstop. It's up and down the court. You're announcing not only who made a basket, but fouls on the individual and on the team uh, who's at the line shooting free throws if the referees have a review you're trying to read their lips and figure out okay how do I take what just happened in New York uh, and and relate it to all right our fans need to know x y or z Uh, and then football to me is the hardest Um, you know basketball you're up very close there's only 10 people on the court none of them are wearing helmets so you can see see easily who they are uh, in football, though, you're farther removed from the field. There's 22 people out there who are running on and off constantly, and they're all wearing helmets, so you can't – it's like facial recognition isn't a thing. Uh, and you're talking all the time. Um, it's not just if something happens. You talk when something doesn't happen. If there's an incompletion, you say, incomplete pass intended for number 11, Darnell Mooney, second and 10 for the Bears at their own 22. Or, or whatever. Um, so it's a constant flow of words and trying to figure out who's doing what to do it before a sh- the, the play clock gets to a certain level because you can't talk past that in the NFL. So um, I, I hope that answers your question, but, but yeah. those are kind of the hierarchies of uh, difficulty when it comes to, to doing a sport, at least in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's funny because I guess I would assume with the more continuous flow of basketball that that it might be the more difficult but um you know realizing in what you said there's there's actually probably a greater level of detail in terms of having to note where the placement of the ball is and things like that between every play with football so um, yeah it's, yeah, it's very four hours of non-stop thinking and, and i've got a spotter <laughs> in football which helps um i handle the offense so i pay attention to who who the ball was handed to, who the quarterback is, who the wideouts and and tight end is. Uh, my spotter's looking at the defensive side. So by the time I get the offensive side said, he's given me a number as to who made the tackle. And then he's saying, okay, that from the 17 to the 21. So now in my head, I'm like, all right, four-yard gain on the play, second and six for the Bears at their own 21-yard line. And that's happening 120 times a game in 20-second incre- increments. Um, so yeah, it is, it is a, a, a constant thing. It's, um, basketball and gameplay is a little bit more continuous, but in terms of my role, football feels more that way. Have you had any players or coaches make suggestions or just uh, make comments about, you know, just your, your style in terms of how, um, you just announce just different players and maybe either the opposing or the home team. Um, do you have any type of stories regarding those interactions? 
I haven't had too many people tell me what they want me to do. Um, I, I'm assuming that's good news. Um, <laughs> typically, if you've rubbed somebody the, the wrong way, especially if they're uh, your your home team, they will tell you very quickly, we don't want that every time. Uh, but I, I've never had that happen. So I, I consider that a good thing. I mean, the big thing is pronunciations to make sure that you're getting those correct. And, and there are um, sheets and websites and phonetic pronunciations and people you can go to to double check. And so if there's ever a question, I always try to make sure I've found the PR person for a pro team or the you know, sports information director for a college team to, to go double check and make sure I know because everybody deserves to have the name pronounced how they want it to be. Um, so occasionally, you know, one will be mistyped or or the phonetics aren't quite right. And so I'll say it what it looks like it should be and they'll come over and say hey it's actually this or i'll misread something so that happens every once in a while but uh thankfully uh my goal is to get it right the first time every time and um so far that's worked so tim i want to shift gears to when um, you were selected to go to the nba and WNBA bubble in 2020 can you kind of describe that experience, what it was like for no fans at all, was that pretty difficult? That element of the fans and that energy being removed from that situation and just basically hearing just the squeaks and just the in-game action. Uh, what was that experience like from a not only a WNBA's perspective, but the NBA perspective as well? Yeah, it, well, it was difficult and, and weird and you know tough to get used to. But on the flip side, you know, I'd gone for four months with no work. So getting an opportunity to do it, you know, I jumped at that chance to to go spend, it was almost three months in total between the two bubbles that I was in Florida working those games. And um, they did a pretty good job. Uh, the NBA specifically allowed for the rise and fall of crowd noise, and they had brought in a lot of effects so that when there were free throws being shot, you could hear chants in the background. You could hear the dull roar of the crowd during regular gameplay. If someone made a great play for the home team, they could bring the crowd up. So even though they weren't in the building, it still felt a little bit more like it was real. Uh, the difficult ones for me, um, primarily football, like in, in a basketball arena, they can turn down the lights and just have them on the floor and you kind of forget that the seats around you aren't filled with people. But when you're doing a noon game at Soldier Field and you see 60,000 empty seats and they aren't allowed to pipe in the rising and falling of, of crowd noise in the NFL, that happened on television, but it didn't happen in stadium. That was really bizarre because I was trying to, you know, bear down its third down there's no one to bear down. I mean, there's not a soul in there other than, you know, 53 guys on each team, the coaching staffs and me. Um, so that was weird. Uh, but, you know, I did 120 straight games, I think, without fans between the NBA, WNBA, uh, MLS and NFL and college. Um, so you got used to it, but it wasn't something I wanted to get used to. I'm, I was thrilled when fans came back. Was there any kind of an adjustment or transitional process when fans returned, or were you just happy just to see the crowds come back? Yeah, not at all. It was <laughs> it was great. I mean, even and and the Bulls did it uh, in in sort of increments, and so we had I think three thousand people that first game spread throughout the largest arena in the NBA, and now it would have seemed just ridiculously quiet. But then, 
you know, I'd gone for so long without any fans that uh, it was it was deafening and it was great. I loved it. Wanted to ask also about your experience with NBA India, just um, announcing up there. What were those games like? What was that environment like? Yeah, I had been in the NBA for less than a year when oh, wow. uh, the Pacers traveled to India and asked if I wanted to go with them. And I was like, of course, cool. uh, you know, we, we flew on the team plane. So they had a charter that we took and it was the Pacers and their coaching staffs and Larry Bird and me. Um, and we, we went over and it was a great time. Now we weren't there very long. So the jet lag was pretty severe, mm. but uh, to get to play in a, in a country where, they'd never had an NBA game was something pretty special. They converted a, an, an arena that was not used for basketball. It was just sort of a gathering place. They converted this into a basketball arena. Um, they were literally still letting the concrete dry around the outside of some things they had done <laughs> when we showed up. Uh, they just got it done just in time. Wow. Um, but not only was it a cool experience, but it's where I met the guys who are in charge of the NBA production um, and that's ultimately what got me now two all-star games, uh, led me to be able to go to the bubble, um, because my time there, I was able to at least impress the people who mattered and, uh, get, get some pretty cool invitations as a result. And I know, of course, I mean, everyone knows the NBA has been doing a really good job expanding the sport at the time you guys were there. What did you feel the interest level was in that community? Did you have a sense of, you know, people were really interested in, in going to check out these pro teams playing? What, what was that vibe kind of like? Uh, both were sellouts. Now, you know, in a city that big with an arena that's fairly small, you would expect that. But everywhere we went, there were billboards and signs and things saying, you know, NBA India and given the dates of the games. And so, it, it sure felt like everybody was very excited about it. And, um, you know, there was a lot of excitement in the arena at those games. One was kind of more for dignitaries and special guests. And so that mm. was a little bit more subdued, but not much. The other one was reserved for school children. And they brought kids from schools all over Mumbai. And that was incredibly loud if you've ever been to one of those like field trip days at women's basketball yeah college it was like that uh nice. where they just screamed from beginning to end but it was fantastic um tim we can't let you go without just um getting your just opinions of us announcing that those all-star games what was that environment like that's such a I think, I don't know, I might be in a minority of thinking about this, but I, I would argue that it's the most premier day on the NBA calendar is the All-Star Game. Such a glamour event. All the legends are there, um, all the pop and circumstances. What was that environment like? Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I, I call it the Super Bowl of the NBA. Yeah. It's um, just, but to me, it's an even bigger production because the Super Bowl is, is one day, whereas All-Star Weekend is three three and a half there are so many you know between the celebrity game and the rising stars and the dunk contest like all that's it's just unbelievable how many people it takes to pull something like that off and how much rehearsal it takes um the first one i ever did was in chicago and that was before i was hired by the bulls i was still with the pacers at the time uh, but they brought me into Chicago to do both Saturday night and the game on Sunday. That was three weeks after Kobe died. 
And so there was all sorts of um, obviously extra things put in place as a result of that, which made it, uh, it's obviously sad, but from a, a logistic standpoint, made it more difficult to, to pull off. And then this last year in Cleveland was the NBA 75th. And so, uh, you know, I got to narrate basically the entire halftime of all these legends walking onto the stage one by one. And um, man, uh, I was just as in awe of, uh, as everybody else was. I, I just had to concentrate maybe a little bit more than they did and couldn't enjoy it quite as much because I was so in the thick of it. But um, I think that's one of those days that I, I don't know how you recreate ever. Um, maybe at the NBA 100th, they do something similar. Uh, and I hope to be the voice of that too, if uh, they still allow me to be. Um, but it, it was absolutely incredible. The NBA knows how to do those things right. And uh, being a part of it, a uh, small part of it, has been uh, the honor of a lifetime. And I'm, I'm very appreciative. Tim, I want to ask you this myself being a huge Bulls fan. Um, they've been somewhat struggling this year. Uh, I think the team's very talented, but um, just from the different experts we've talked and journalists, there's been a lot of just rumors regarding the future of this team. What has been the sentiment among just the fans you have interacted with this season um, just regarding kind of the, the Bulls' future in, in terms yeah, get- of the, the playoff, a possible playoff run or what happens after the season is over? Well, I'm going to be a little careful answering this since my paycheck has a bull on it. Um, but I, I will say, like, I think most people and, and it, ownership has said this, you know, the goal was to win a playoff series. That would be the next step in, in the progression. Um, and I don't see anything that says that can't happen yet. Uh, obviously health is going to be a part of it. That includes Lonzo and includes everybody else staying healthy. Um, lots of things go into that. Um, I don't know what the average everyday fan is thinking, but I'm always an eternal optimist. You kind of have to, when you work 120 sporting events a year, you know, if, if you lived and died with every win and loss, you know, I would have had a heart attack years ago. So um, I, I'm always hopeful and always seeing the positives. And um, I really do feel like though there have been some frustrating losses, there have been some pretty iconic wins. Everybody touted the one in 15 last year against the league's uh, top teams that, you know, they, they beat one of them one time. And this year, I think they're already like six. So to me, beating the good teams that's progress now you don't want to lose to the bad teams but it shows that it's possible and so to me that's some forward momentum and, and a trajectory that that's a good thing so uh, we'll see how it all plays out it's a very long season we're a quarter of the way through now but uh, I, I'm always hopeful that uh, things are going to trend in the right direction and that uh, we'll get a chance to fulfill that goal that management set uh, before the season Tim, this has been a fantastic chat. Thank you very much for joining us. Please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media. And then as all the teams you announce, you have such a busy schedule. Uh, just please let um, just our sports fans know where they can just catch you. Uh, yeah, everything on social media is at Tim, the letter J, Sinclair. So that's TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, you know, all of those. Um, and my website is timjsinclair.com as well. So you can find out a whole lot more about me, send me emails, listen to demos, all that kind of stuff there. Uh, if you're looking for me uh, to actually hear me at an event, 
um, Chicago Bulls, Chicago Bears, Chicago Fire, Illinois Basketball, uh, the NBA All-Star Game. Uh, I just did the Big Ten Football Championship Game in Indy a couple of nights ago. Um, and so there's always a lot of hit or miss things that, that you'll find me at, uh, either the Big Ten Tournament or the Illinois High School State Championships. So um, chances are if there's an event in or around the Midwest, I'll, uh, I'll be there in some way, shape, or form. Tim, thank you very much for this chat. Truly appreciate it. You got it, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks.